Hi, everyone. Welcome to the second show of By the Drip. This podcast is about coffee, entrepreneurship, and the people we meet through the amazing story of coffee. I'm your host, David Crosby, founder and CEO of Rosso Coffee Roasters. And I just wanted to say a quick thank you to everyone who provided some feedback on the first episode. It really does mean the world to me. Today's guest is Conrad Farrell, the founder and CEO of True Booch Kombucha. In today's podcast, we talk about what is kombucha, brewing kombucha at home to starting a company, creating a lifestyle business versus reality, gut health, the worst selling flavor of kombucha Conrad has ever made, work-life balance, and finally, microdosing. It was a great conversation with Conrad, and I hope you enjoy it too. Conrad, thanks for doing this, buddy. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me, bud. Okay, you started True Booch Kombucha. Tell me a little bit about what the company does and what your role is at the company. Well, I founded True Booch Kombucha with Louisa, my wife, seven years ago. Um, we make authentic raw kombucha here in Calgary. We distribute all across Canada, mainly in Western Canada, but trying to get into the Ontario market. We've been around for seven years. Wow. It's been a wild ride. So maybe we should start with like a baseline. What is kombucha? Kombucha is a fermented tea on a very simplistic form. It's a fizzy probiotic tea beverage, kind of replaces soda in a general sense. The way we best describe it is it is what yogurt is to milk, is okay. what kombucha is to tea. It is full of enzymes, probiotics, uh, amino acids, vitamin B12. It has a low sugar and is good for your gut, good for your bacteria, good for general health. Okay, so how do you go from being... You're brewing this at home, I assume? Yeah. So the story with me was years for, for my entire life, I've had allergies, just bad gut bacteria, gut lining, leaky okay. gut syndrome. And so when I was actually studying for my CPA exam, I'm a chartered accountant by trade. Um, I was looking at ways to fix my gut lining, which is connected to your focus. And so kombucha came out of that organically as like, instead of just taking a probiotic pill, hypothetically, I found a product that I could brew because I was into kind of like making beer into making wine back when I was a teenager, brought that home and just started making it. And I did that for many years. And then it kind of snowballed into a kind of going to the farmer's market then commercially. So you were brewing at home and then how, how did you make that jump from like home brewing you're trying to heal yourself. You're an accountant. You're making good money. And then you're, you know, is family members coming over and say, oh, Conrad, you got the best <laughs> kombucha. Uh, sometimes, sometimes friends were like, what is this random thing sitting in your cupboard that looks like, uh, I don't know if anybody's seen kombucha brew, but it has this thing called a cellulose that sits on top. It looks like a, they call it a mushroom. It's very gross looking if you don't know what it is. So people would come over and they'd see that on the counter and they'd be like, what is this? And I'm like, oh, you want to try some? And then They'd be pretty hesitant, but at the end of the day, they, they, they actually liked it. And so did my family. So did um, everybody around me. And they actually said, well, you should start a company. And that was kind of a joke. And then about two years later, um, I was working for a company. We ended up selling that company. I was a CFO, um, sold that off. And I had some free time and, and some free capital to sit back and say, what do I want to do? And just for fun, my wife and I said, why don't we just kind of start a kombucha company and just start at the farmer's market and see what happens. Wow. And then so kind of what happened through that was I found this in the bottom of a curling center in Cochrane. And, and, and for people that aren't from the Calgary area, Cochrane is about, I don't know, 45 minutes west of town. I got access to the commercial kitchen from 10 p.m. till 6 a.m. And so I would drive out there in the middle of the night, brew kombucha, and then I would 
Kaget do everything there. And that's, that's kind of how it all started in Cochrane, even though we live in Calgary. So I was commuting in the middle of the wow. night. Yeah. I did not know that. So you're, brew, you're brewing in Cochrane, you're in this kitchen. How do you make it into the farmer's market? So th- that was the first step was a farmer's market. We're from Sunnyside area. And so Hillhurst Sunnyside Community Center in yeah. Calgary here has a random Wednesday night farmer's market. And, and uh, at the, actually at that time, I think Louisa was on the board uh, of the... Oh, so it's an inside job. <laughs> Semi-inside job, but I still had to pay the entry fee yeah. or the booth fee, but we tried it out. And so what happened was I got my first sale at a place called, oh, I can't even remember it now. It was a grocery store that is no longer here. And what happened was we sold in kegs only. We never did these bottles. We, we want okay. to be environmentally conscious and we still are as a company. But at that time we're like, let's do kegs only. And so we set up a, a kegerator machine and within the first week we sold four kegs or something like that. And the problem was during that week we launched and then me and Louisa left town and we went to Hawaii. Oh yeah. So we're trying to live like, just step back for a sec. True Booch was supposed to be a lifestyle business. And that was the whole plan was I was going to ski four days a week. I was going to brew two days a week and we would go to the farmer's market and have a little supplemental income and just see where it goes and just have some fun for a little while. Take kind of like a little mini retirement because I'd worked for this company and we sold it and it was, it was two and a half years of craziness, crazy hours, crazy time that I just wanted a break. Mm. And so that's where True Booch kind of came from. It was like, let's take a break. Let's do something neat, something fun. And then as soon as we launched it within the first week, we already sold out of everything. And so I was like, okay, I think we have something here. And then, so I was in Hawaii trying to coordinate with friends and family to move kegs around, <laughs> taking them from Cochrane to this grocery store and yada, yada, yada. And so here we are today that from day one, up until about a few years ago, pre-COVID, we couldn't keep up with production. And that's always been the problem. So that's a good problem to have as an entrepreneur, right? You, you kind of, and I think we'll talk about this later is like, what is the entry point to be an entrepreneur? How do you test that market? How do you get into it? And, and my testing of the market was one retail grocery store, a cute little boutique organic grocery store and the farmer's market. And through that, it was just word of mouth and, um, and I could never keep up with volume. So lifestyles changed quite a bit. Yeah, the, the lifestyle never came. Like I never, I never skied. <laughs> I never skied for, I barely skied. Entrepreneurship will do yeah, that. I didn't ski one day a week, let alone four or five, right? Um, it was stressful, don't get me wrong. Like we could talk about the, the, the ebbs and flows of an entrepreneur, right? Like you're doing something that's a passion of yours. Like it was a passion of mine to, to brew kombucha. I liked it, I liked the product. I liked what it stood for. I liked what it did to me, how it made me feel. It actually helped, like, as I said, I had all these allergies. So it helped my gut lining heal. And then also indirectly of that, it just made my life a lot better, right? I, I could eat the things that I couldn't eat before that maybe I was more sensitive to and just in general life health, right? And so it's like, you're doing that and then all of a sudden you're moving it into a business side of things. And then there becomes like, okay, now this is my business versus my, my hobby, my craft, right? And so it's like, how do you connect the two and how do you take that next step of something that is your craft, is your hobby, mm-hmm. is your passion and to turn it into a business if you want? Do you recommend people turning their passion into a business or is it better to leave it on the side as, you know, a passion project can, you know, for you, it's like, it's overwhelmed your, your lifestyle here Mm. or for, or for other people. No, I think that's like, if you're going to start a business, you're going to want to start something you like and you love as an entrepreneur, as a, as a creative guy like me, I think about businesses and products and services and everything every day of my life that I could maybe jump into and do. 
That's just how my brain is always working. And none of them I'm passionate about. Like, right? <laughs> like you could come to me like 30 or 40 years ago and Google could have come to me and said, hey, I've got this thing where I want to like make a search engine. I'd be like, ah, no, I'm not into search engines, right? right? Like I'm not passionate about that, even though the business obviously makes sense. It's like you have to like what you're doing as well. And I, I guess at the end of the day, the great stepping stone now, then eventually, once you get to a point where you're like, I've been in this for seven years, I assume coffee's a passion yours. You've been in it for 14 or 15, right? Yeah. It's like at some point you separating the passion of the product and the craft that you had, and then you're putting your business hat on versus your love and compassion for the product. They collide, right? And that's the ebbs and flows of entrepreneurship. Like every, like I've gone a million times in my head and said, I never want to see kombucha again. I never want to make kombucha again. Like that's the entrepreneur's world, right? Is right. that you have these deep pits of despair, despair, depression, angst, whatever you want to call it. But then you have these euphoric things. You're like, kombucha is the best thing in the world. Coffee is the best thing in the world. I can't wait to brew more, make more, give it out to everybody because it will make everybody feel better, right? That's the ebbs and flows of entrepreneurship. Now you have to have a starting point. You want to at least start with something you like. You think you can build a passion? Or is uh, it innate? That's a good question. Like, for example, for me, I would love to code. Like, I would love to, like, figure out this world that now I'm 41 years old in. I have no idea how it works, right? Like, we live in a technological... You're buying NFTs, though, right? <laughs> if I knew what they were, I would probably buy them. <laughs> I mean, Snoop Dogg's buying them. Maybe I should. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, it's like that world. Cryptocurrency, that even the blockchain, all those things that you see, all these new technologies coming through... They have validity. They have like, they're not just kids making them up. They're, they're, they're smart, intelligent people making these technologies that are going to be part of our lives for the next hundred years. No different than the internet was when it first came out. Internet 1.0, right? Now we're in internet 2.0. It's like, I would love to get into that space, but I don't have the education or the skills to do it. And nor do I have the time now. You could probably build that passion no matter where you are in life, right? It's just a matter of finding the time and the energy to do it. Okay. So let's circle back. So you're in Hawaii. You got people helping you out here in Calgary. What's, what's the next six to 12 months? Like, how do you know to keep going? How do you understand like, yeah, you're getting demand from this one place, mm -hmm. but how do you turn this into a real business? Cause a lot of people, you know, they can have a test product that goes well, but three months down the line, you know, things aren't selling or you can't produce enough or there's those hardships that you've kind of been talking about. Yeah. We always kind of had the, um, under promise over deliver, right? So I would be turning away business where some businesses wouldn't. And I've seen that fall, right? So like the example would be in the kombucha craze when kombucha first kind of came into the Canadian scene and even the North American scene as a functional beverage and an actual like pure category when it started off in Whole Foods with GT's kombucha. And when I brought it to Calgary, the flywheel was moving and it was right. moving fast, right? There was a massive demand and not enough production across all boards of kombucha, including the big guys in the States, including anybody. Nobody could keep up with production for three years. Okay. What a lot of people would do is overpromise, underdeliver, right? I would be like, okay, well, I'm just going to take as many customers as possible, tell them I can get it for them, and then not deliver. And that's what would have happened to a lot of smaller guys. And that would have maybe been the like growing too fast and failing, right? I always wanted to keep in my limits and make everybody happy that are, are my customers because I want. If I had a hundred retailers, let's say, you need to have everybody happy so that they're always going to continue to buy from you and they trust you. And then you have this long-term relationship. So going back to like where it went, it was like we had production to a max in the curling center. Like, let's be honest, like yeah. it's a curling center, right? And so I had to get really creative. 
Um, I ended up taking that space over full time. And then the, the lady I was kind of subleasing it from, she took the, the shitty little slot that was the 10 p.m. <laughs> to the 6 a.m. And I just paid her more to do that, right? And then eventually we moved. So I got my first employee maybe eight or nine months into that to help me with just even logistics and production and everything and um, moved into a facility in Calgary. And the day we moved into that, we already outgrew that. So then I had to rent this bay beside. Two years ago, we moved into a 10,000 square foot facility. Wow. And that's kind of where we're going to park ourselves for a while and, and, and grow into that. Maybe give us a frame of reference. What does brewing kombucha look like? Um, it's similar to beer, right? So like even going back to like when I first started, I was learning all these things from YouTube, really. Like how do you transfer things? Like I don't come from a brewer. I'm an accountant. I'm, I'm sitting on the keyboards, right? The key brew. The key, yeah, the key brew. <laughs> and so understanding how to move liquids, like that's really what the business is, right? You're going to take black and green tea, organic cane sugar, the culture, which is called the SCOBY, the symbiotic Symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. That looks like an alien. It looks like an alien. It's the, it's the mushroom. And you put those into a batch and we do about 500 liter batches. Oh, wow. Um, we used to start off, I started off with 200 liter batches. You know, you could hug them. Um, we just kind of, just the way our new facility is, we upgraded to a bigger batches. But at the end of the day, it sits there for 14 days. And what happens is the SCOBY and the, and the bacteria and the yeast eats the sugar to create the good amino acids, the probiotics, and the vitamin B12s. In simplistic form, think about a beer brewery. And so how, how many flavors do you have at a time? Uh, we have six bottled flavors, and then we have about 12 total flavors that we rotate through kegs. And our keg program, which is our draft refill program, um, allows us to have more flexibility where every month we're taking a flavor and we're calling it the flavor of the month. And that's that's signed up with meal share. So every time you sell a keg or sell a bottle of that keg, a meal goes back to a youth that needs it, right? Okay, so you got a variety of different scobies going, different flavors going. So how do you construct a flavor? Like, you know, fuzzy peach. How do you dial that in? Is it on like a little small batch? Like it's like three liters and then you guys are tasting it and saying like, oh, this needs more sugar. Oh, this needs more ginger because it's not. Yeah, so... When we originally started, we, like I said, we start off in draft and it gave us more flexibility where I could basically flavor each keg. So I've got 20 liter kegs, right? I see. Let's say I have a hundred of them. I could do a hundred different flavors if I technically wanted to. And just the way our system was working at that time. So when we were playing around, my first flavor was, I think it was just called lychee, lychee kombucha. It was yeah. the first one I ever had. And the reason it was lychee was Jonathan at the Naked Leaf Tea Shop here in Calgary, which is, he's still our tea supplier to this day. I went in there seven years ago. I said, I got this crazy idea. I want to make kombucha. And he didn't even know what it was. And I need lots of teas. Like, well, I've got lots of tea. And then, so we went through and one of his flavors was a lychee green tea, which okay. was one of my favorites. So I was like, well, I know this tea. I might as well make it into a kombucha. And that was the only time I only did it once. It was delicious, but I couldn't replicate the flavor ever again. Oh, interesting. It was really interesting. I couldn't do it. So then it was a little bit too mild. So then um, we just kind of did that. Like my, my wife, Louisa, she would concoct up flavors in the kitchen like in our home kitchen we would play around in our home kitchen that was like our r&d and then i would go and make it on a on a scale basis in cochrane and so we just kept playing and playing so like going back to the keg situations like you have ample opportunity to r&d and keep trying and then giving it out like there was so much demand that people were buying it regardless of the flavor itself if that makes sense and then you would get feedback and then they'd be like well this one a lot of customers didn't like and 
like those kind of things. And I get feedback at the farmer's market. That was like an instant way to do R&D, right? In a farmer's market, you're always sampling and then you would ask them and then they'd say, that one was to this, to that. And then you would just scale them out. And then finally you come up with, you know, ginger was always a guarantee. Is the number one seller is ginger? And then you just went through them. So we have very berry, blueberry, rooibos, vanilla chai, mojito mint, uh, root beer, and they're all unique, right? They're all different. And we wanted to keep them separate in their own kind of silos versus you wouldn't, if you didn't know if you're drinking ginger or very berry, it's like, why would you even call it a flavor, right? Like you might as well just have one flavor. Okay. What's, what's the worst flavor you've ever come up with? The worst flavor? Funny enough, we just got an email the other day about our cucumber lime. Okay. He was very light, nice in his email. He was very nice about it. I like that one. So what happens is a lot of people, they have their own biases of what flavors are. So it's hard to tell, but one of our worst ones would have been like, what's your worst selling then? How about that? Well, I don't want to say it. Okay. It was your, it was the Rosso. <laughs> That's what it, that was, it was, uh, the, was falling towards. It was I, the cold brew, yeah, um, the I'm cold brew kombucha. Cause we were too, we were trying to put cold brew coffee, which was, is a, we did that what, seven years ago, yeah, six yeah. years ago. It was one of our first collaborations, but yeah, that was one of the worst selling. I, I remember when you guys came in and I was so excited to do the collaboration. <laughs> And then I tasted it afterwards and I was like, oh shit, this yeah, isn't that good. We just ruined two good things. Yeah. <laughs> like, right, we put two good things there, like Rosso Coffee, True Booch, we put them together and just ruined two good yeah, things yeah. into one product. I mean, it exists, like there's a market for those kind of things, but it depends what your local community wants, right? Like to me, Canadians don't want their kombucha and their coffee put together, but a Californian might. Because mm. they're like, they're obsessed with cold brew coffee down there, right. more, more so than Canadians, right? At this current time. So it's like, you kind of have to understand your demographic too. So during this, you got demand outweighing supply. You know, how do you transition from, we can't keep up, like why not just go raise some money and get a whole bunch of bats and turn on the taps and, yeah. um, or, or is this where the lifestyle part of the business comes in and you want to balance the two, or you want to only grow at 20% a year instead of 200%? What's the, what's the theory? So that's a very good question, actually. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Mm, like yeah. it's something business 101 would have taught you is to go get venture capitalist money, go raise 2 million bucks, go do something that's bigger than what you are and fail at it because that's, that's kind of what's embedded in today's entrepreneurial world, right? right? Like go as fast as humanly possible and be first to market. Okay. Mm. And so to step back, we were the first kombucha company in Western Canada or even Canada at that time. I couldn't tell, I couldn't find out to be doing draft kombucha. We're the, probably the one of the first four to five kombucha brewers in Canada at that time. And if we'd done what, you know, if we went and raised $2 million and moved into, went from the calling cock and curling center for only a few months and realized that, you know, we, we have something here and the market is going to be big, and that was our test market, go raise that $2 million and flood the Canadian market and be either number one or number two brand selling X amount of bottles. That would have been, that would have been our trajectory if we'd done that. Mm. But at the time, it's like, how long is kombucha going to be around? Is it going to have that, um, the cold press juice scenario, right? Like, Is it a fad or is, is it, it a, a fad? legit? And I think... Um, if cold press juice hadn't been around when we did kombucha, I probably would have maybe put more money into it, raised more money because I was looking at the cold press juice as a similar category as a functional beverage. Right. And I was like, Oh God, they're, they're, they're on their, they're dying. <laughs> like, right. They're going on their downtrend here. Is kombucha going to follow that? And it hasn't, thank God. It's actually 
it's, it's its own category and it's growing at a very, very, very stable rate every year. Right. But at that time, one, do I want to risk my entire life savings on this? Two, do I want to take other people's money, which I'm not a fan of. I'm not a fan of taking other people's money and then risking it. Mm. I don't know why. I just feel uncomfortable. It creates more like being an entrepreneur is stressful to start off with just in general. And then having other people invested in you and other people's money and then other people's expectations, expectations and then other shareholders, however it is, right? You got all these people attacking you. So then you might not make the right decisions. You might be burnt out, whatever. So from a lifestyle standpoint and from where I was in my world, I wasn't going to raise money. In hindsight, I should have, but oh, I don't think I, I don't think I was still would have done it knowing what I know today. I don't want that pressure to grow from zero. This is what would have happened from zero to being a national brand within two years. That's a massive, massive undertaking and a lot of hours. Don't get me wrong. I'm not adverse to work. It's just like, you got to balance that out. What do you want in life? And that's just not who I am. So touching on that point, life, work, balance, what, what are your thoughts? Can you balance that? What does an entrepreneur need to do? Yeah, I think- I, I need some motivation here, Conrad. I think you can if you do it right. I mean, like set up your organization, you set up your processes and you set up proper, the right people around you. So I'm fortunate that I have two other partners, excluding my wife. So there's four of us, four owners. And there's three of us that are in the business and my other two partners, Shane and JR, we all collectively work very well together. They're, we have a different skill set. Shane deals with kind of the operations, let's call him the COO. JR deals in the sales side. He's like, let's call him the chief revenue officer, whatever. And then there's myself, who's the finance side. So CFO, CEO kind of thing, right? And then we have a back team that we've had, we've got Three of our employees that are in the brewery have been with us for five years, right? Oh, wow. And so we have this tight-knit family. We treat everybody well. It's not always about profits. It's about making sure the business runs its best. And so if the business can run its best and everybody can be trusted and everybody trusts the owners and the owners trust the employees and everybody trusts as like a little family, then yeah, you can, you can kind of pull yourself out of it for four hours a day and go hang out with your son or whatever. And that's what I do. Like I take mornings and I hang out with my kid, come in at noon and noon. It's not like it was seven years ago where it was, you know, seven to seven every day or seven to 10 every day, because I was doing everything from marketing to sales, to brewing, to delivering the whole gamut. It's like at some point you got to let go and entrepreneurs have a problem with that in general. They want to control everything and they want to let, they don't want to let go. They think that, I can only do it the best because I'm the owner. It's like, well, no, it's like, you just have to empower your people, trust your people, and then you can let go and look at high level stuff. Like I remember just recently watching this uh, YouTube video with uh, Jeff Bezos. They're like, oh, you've got 20 different companies. You've got Amazon, you got Blue Origin, you got all these things. Like, he's like, if I'm making more than three decisions a day, then I'm not doing my job properly because the people below him are making those decisions. He's making the three high, high level decisions. They're the most important ones. Everything else is kind of not arbitrary, but left to the trust of the people below. Right. And everybody makes their three decisions a day that support that. Right. I've heard him talk. Yeah. I, I, he, or he says I work in the future and if I get pulled into the present, that means something's critically gone wrong. And so I think like you're saying, the CEO sees into the future, what's going on and brings it to kind of present day for the team's the team to rally around and get done 
while you're kind of three, six, 12 months. Yeah. And that's kind of like, as a business owner, you kind of have to do that, right? You, if you get sucked in into your the business day-to-day. instead of on your business. Yeah. And, and I mean, there's a cliche. It's like right now it's tough for us to work on the business because with COVID and we can get into that discussion too, is like COVID tr- changed the way everybody does business in the CPG world to me, at least for our, our company. Right. And Rosso might've seen it too, but there's less opportunity to find places to sell your product based on COVID. Like you can't go and do sampling. You can't go and do meet people one-on-one there's zoom calls. And like, if I'm trying to sell in Toronto to a, a big retail banner, normally I would fly out there, have a meeting, sit down, have, have dinner, whatever we do. And, and you, you get to have a one-on-one relationship. Now it's over zoom. And sometimes the purchasers don't even turn on their, their video. Right. So you don't even know who you're talking to. And so it's a very weird world where innovation is kind of stifled where products aren't getting onto shelves, new products or innovative products aren't getting onto shelves because it's just a different way of working. And it's a different way of consumer buying as well. Basically things are different. And so when you're working on the business right now, for me, we're just trying to navigate what does post COVID look like? What does post consumer purchasing look like in a post COVID world, right? Like, I don't know if you've noticed this, but people seem to want to buy online now. Mm. So, right. So when nobody knows what kombucha is, what is your number one marketing? It's sampling, in-store sampling. So for in Safeway, Sobe, Sunterra, Blush Lanes of the world, we'd be sampling it because only 10 to 15% of the world even knows what kombucha is. hundred percent of the world knows what coffee is, right? So when you're, when you're selling something that nobody knows what it is, they're not just going to buy it off the shelf and just randomly try it. They want to maybe try a little sample. And then they're like, Oh, that's what it is. I've seen this around. And then they buy it. Then you've, you've gained a fan, right? Um, that doesn't happen anymore. We can't do samplings in stores. So how has your business pivoted through COVID? Um, Cause you, you guys, like you're saying taps have been. Yeah. Our draft program got taken off, which was at that time around 40% of our revenue, which was huge. Oh, wow. And so, um, that was an eye opening <laughs> experiment where, how do we survive strictly on bottles, which is a massive environmental impact. And a lot of it, what we did was we shift to locally online delivery, right? And so we didn't have an online store. I know Rosso had an online store for a long time. So we never had that. And we didn't think it would be something people wanted. Kombucha shipped to their door. Why would they want a case of kombucha? Like they could just go down to Safeway. Turns out they do. And so I think we're up to 9,000 orders since we started. Wow. Um, which is amazing. That's just Calgary. Right. And so then what we did was we partnered up with spot.ca, which is the online delivery grocery organic. Right. And we've been partners with them for a long time. So we did initiatives where we actually just put free bottles into baskets just to have people try it. It's like, here's a bottle of kombucha just tried on the house. Like I can't give you a sample. I can't give you a little cup sample, but I can give you a full bottle for free. Right. And so those kind of initiatives worked and definitely helped in the Vancouver market. Um, and then we're in save on foods, like on their online shopping. Right. But what we find is like when you're online shopping, you kind of just go for your staples and you're not going to do those impulse buys. Right. Kombucha right now is kind of an impulse buy. It's like, I'm going to walk by the cooler and be like, oh, I'm thirsty or I know my kids like this. I'll buy them a couple as a treat. Right. But when you're online shopping on a, on your computer, there's not as much impulse buying, right. It's going straight to your staples. And so we find like there's just a transition. If you're going from 
the world post COVID wanting to shop online. It's like, how do we market that then? And so now it all becomes like each, each retailer. So let's say save on foods, spud, all these online delivery programs. Now you're having to spend your marketing dollars to be on the front page of those potential sites. That makes sense. Or getting a free bottle into every order or or, yeah. Or doing your sampling in more unique ways. Yeah. Do you think we're going to go back to sampling anytime soon? Yeah, there's a few retailers that have voiced that it's coming down the pipeline, but this wave four in Alberta hasn't helped or in Canada in general, I guess. So I think a lot of people are just still from a legal standpoint, just like let's hesitant, hesitant, let's, let's, let's not rock the boat as we go through wave four here. And, and I mean, maybe this is a reality that there's wave five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and we just have to live with that. And maybe there's no sampling or the retailers just decide, you know what? Let's just do sampling. Let's try to get back to some normalcy. So we have quite a few coffee professionals that listen to the podcast. And uh, wait a sec, do you call yourself a coffee professional? (laughs) No, no, I'm just the host. So, (laughs) you know, they might be a barista or they might be a roaster and they're thinking of starting their own cafe or a roastery. What's, I don't know, a zero to one that you could offer advice to those out there from, you know, zero is... They have no business to one, you know, turning on the lights or. I mean, I think you would be better at explaining that. But in my opinion would be from a coffee standpoint would be to start small, right? Like Rosso started off in Ramsey. Correct me if I'm wrong, if mm-hmm. I know your history. In Ramsey in a little cafe in the middle of nowhere where people came to you because of your product, right? The craftness of it. They, they came to you. No different than people coming to Truboot, right? Like. It's not like we had a marketing team and we were putting up billboards, right? It's like word of mouth created your company, word of mouth created our company and word of mouth will create somebody else's. So it's like a lot of people think when they're starting off a business, it's going to be, well, I don't have any money to spend on billboards. I don't have any money to spend on advertising. Who's going to know who I am? Well, be, be so good they can't ignore you is like one of those sayings, right? Be so good that they can't ignore you and start small. So, you know, find a little cafe or do it out of your, do a pop-up or one of those bikes, right? Or just even those carts you see that has a full espresso machine on it. You don't see that. Like you could do any kind of imaginative. This, this doesn't have to be coffee related. You can do yeah, yeah, but it could be anything, right? Like, like from coffee, it's like you need water, <laughs> you need hot water, a nice let's machine. Let's get real. Coffee's easy. Yeah. Let's, let's like, come on. Every, anybody can yeah. make coffee, but it doesn't need to be as complicated as the world dreams it up to be. So almost just start. Yeah. Like what, what bugs me in today's glamified, whatever you want to call it world is like, you see all these, they call them unicorns, right? Oh yeah. This unicorn company just raised $20 million and is going to distribute product through every Costco across Canada or across America, whatever, North America. But then you dive deep into that company and you're like, oh, wait a sec. This guy started off in his basement with his granola bar. Like I'm thinking about kind, you know, Okay, yeah, yeah. There's like a crazy story about him. I don't know the exact story, but like I presume he started off very small. He was around for 20, 15 years before anything really big happened. So the overnight sensation. There's no such thing as overnight. Like it's glamorized. Like the media makes it out to be this thing. It's like, oh, the only way to make yourself money is to go and get a venture capitalist money and and go as big and hard as humanly possible well that's bullshit it's not 
how day-to-day the millions of small business entrepreneurs started or should start because it's it's too much stress. It's not fun, like just taking other people's money. And, and so you have to kind of pick what what silo, what road route do you want to take where it's like, I want to be the biggest and the best, or I, w- I want to have a company that I'm proud of that I started from scratch. And yes, I might've taken money from my friends and family, but I didn't skip a step. I'm going through the hardship and the, and the thing to make sure it works instead of like epically failing and losing tens of millions of dollars. You're epically failing. If you epically fail me tens and thousands of dollars, not or hundreds, like it's not life catastrophic. If you can start small and just do the baby steps you need. Right. I think social media kind of hinders some of that, that people like, Oh, they're doing this. And I'm not like, I remember, you know, eight, nine years ago, that's how we viewed it. Oh, this company has cold brew and we don't, it's these guys open five locations and we haven't. And now we're comfortable in our own skin. We've grown enough that we know our, our four walls per se, and we're happy we're growing at 20% a year instead of raising money at growing at 500%. Now I like part of me would love to do that. But isn't that the ego side of things? Like, isn't that the, but why? Right? Like, you I live- think that, I think the experience, I, I love the idea of like a system breaks and then you rebuild the system and the system breaks because of demand, not because like, Oh, we're not doing the system correctly. Like to me, that's, that's how you, you grow like our business is so system based. We have a system of like how to brew coffee. We have a system of like how to order coffee, a system out of roast coffee and package coffee. And those things always break when either someone doesn't follow the system or there's too much demand is, uh, is hampering the way we can grow it. So part of me, yeah, ego, part of, part of it is maybe ego, but I, I think you see a different side of business when you're growing it. Yeah. Like there's the, don't get me wrong. I like the excitement of it. Right. Like the excitement of Truebooch from its infancy was okay. There is zero systems. There's zero processes. How do I take tea, sugar, and a culture and turn it into a delicious product and put it into a bottle, put it into a keg. Right. And that system had to be put to its limits. Yeah. Like the stresses on that system had to be put to its limits to me to make the next step. So then, okay, we go from my kitchen at home to, I can't brew in here legally. I'm not allowed to, so I can't to making systems processes to then busting out of space there to next operations bay to the next operations bay to the one we're currently. In. And each one of those had a system break, like you're talking about. And that's the exciting part is from an entrepreneur standpoint is because that equals growth. Right. And so I, I, I can tell you right now, I'm bored uh, at True Booch. And that isn't, that's nothing negative to say about the company or anything like that. It's, it's that. That's, a, that's amazing honesty though. I don't think a lot of CEOs or people would admit that. No, no, they wouldn't. They would, oh, everything's all gravy. I love it, right? Like, like talking to entrepreneurs is like, yeah, it's okay to be bored. And, and I, I, it used to bug me. It used to make me really depressed and COVID didn't help, but like, I, you know, sales are down everything's kind of not rosy and everything's, there's no growth. There's no excitement. There's no new customers. There's no new retailers. There's no new like things going on. There's battles. We're trying to, it's not like we're not trying to, but it was just this two years of the same dullness. Right. And, and, and from a, somebody like me who has ADD wants to grow, but like not at a crazy pace that what is comfortable for my business and for my personality 
it's like, if it's not doing any of that, it's like, what are we doing? And then it's like, is the business dying? Blah, blah, blah. You go down those rabbit holes of entrepreneurial woes, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's like, well, you're bored because all the processes you created to this date are working. It's not like we're not dying. We're, we're, we're just stagnant. And is stagnant bad? Not really. It's not what entrepreneurs drive to be. But like, at least it says your processes work. You have so much extra time in your hands because they do either go find the next opportunity or go have a hangout with your family. And that's kind of where I'm at. And then going back to your life work balance, it's like pick your battles. It's like, what do you, what's important to you at this moment in time? Is it growing the business, finding the new retailer? Is it your family? Yes. Well, let's do both of those. Yeah. Don't just spend all day spinning your wheels on something that might not be able to work out because of circumstances, right? I, th I think a lot of people think they say and or or. So the idea is or like I can only be with my family or I can only be working on the business. And I think a lot of people need to use an analogy of and. I can be with my family and I can work on the yeah. business. Yeah, and, I, and don't get me wrong. I didn't know that side of things. Like I only had working on the business, thinking about business, thinking about the next steps, grow, 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 stress, 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 stress. From day one, basically my entire professional career outside of True Booch, even before, right? Like, like don't, like you're a UFC grad where you're, you're bred out of that program to grow, 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 work, 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 grow, 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 work, 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 right? And there's nobody, that, there's no classes at university that'd be like, hey, this is how you hang out with your family and this is how you create a, your better, better social bonds with your friends to create more happiness, to create more delightful lifestyle that translates to your business as well, right? Because like everything has a trickle down effect. It's like if I'm miserable at work and, and, and stressed out at work because I'm not hanging out with my family, my employees are going to see that. My business partners are going to see that. Then they're going to be disengaged and it, and it just has that trickle down effect. It, if you can have a tone from the top that, Work isn't just number one. It's part of what happens in life. It's like, what is number one in your life? Like right now I have a year and a half old boy that was born during COVID, which is weird in his own self, but I got to spend so much time with him locked in our houses. And right, the first wave, everybody was locked in. Nobody knew what was doing, going on. And I was like, well, this would be crazy if it was just me and Louisa, my wife. But now we got this little baby to keep alive. And that was our focus. And I was like, well, I don't want that to change. Like, I don't want to after post COVID to come back and be like, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend mornings with you anymore. Real dad's off to work. It's like, no, I'm going to spend as much time as humanly possible with you that I can and balance those two things and make sure that I'm a family man first and a businessman second. And I don't know, is that bad for the business? It could be Short term, but I think long term, it gives it longevity because you're going to keep your employees. You're going to keep everybody happy. Everybody's going to want to see that tone from the top, I guess, that they don't have to like work their asses off. Like they could take a Friday, like our employees can take Friday, Thursdays off and go horseback riding with, like, I don't know why I picked Jeez, horseback wow. riding, but right. Horseback riding with their friends. Like I, I'm encouraging everybody to do what they want to do. And that's, it's, it's just sad to me when sometimes you hear like the, the glorified, oh, I got to work 60 hours a week to be an entrepreneur. Yes, there is time you have to do that. And that's to get, the, like you said, the process is set up and everything's set up. But once it's set up, then it's up to you how you want to take that time and use it. 
So it is it is a bit of work life balance, but <laughs> yeah, true mooch is all about work life balance. No, like tell me, like so how do you is Dave at Rosso? No, don't ask me. No one wants to hear my answer. Why not? Hey, this is this is this is a podcast. We're going back and forth here. So tell me how Rosso, Dave at Rosso, runs a work life balance. Because you said I hear you're here on Sunday packing bags and you're doing what in play? I, I don't I don't think I'm a great example. Personally, I love I love Mondays. Like I I enjoy work. So my my maybe my balance is I'm like you. I'm constantly thinking like in the future, what can we do in our process now to make us a better company? Where can we go? How can we grow? Like I really enjoy growing the business. I've taken a step back in how fast we grow the business. Like in 2018, we went from three to, you know, seven stores. And I was like, okay, you know, 2020, we're going to have 15 stores. Now I've really taken a step back and saying like, just because we're growing that segment of the business, is that energy allocated correctly? Are we growing did, for did growth? Did COVID six? change that or was that kind of pre-COVID that decision? No, that was pre, it was pre-COVID. There's pre myself, Jesse and Cole, and the three of us just decided that we wanted to focus on wholesale. You know, Cole's barely, like, realistically, he's not really working on Rosso anymore. He's got his own company, you know, forward selling green coffee. So his time is on that. And just the future is wholesale and then online presence. And I don't know, get back to like work-life balance. I don't, I think at the very start, you can't have it. I think it's, it's very difficult to start. Um, a lot of people like, you know, you hear lifestyle business and you, you found that out quickly that you couldn't Very go, naively. Yeah. 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 And maybe you can have like whatever they call it nowadays, side hustles and shit like that, that you could do, you know, kind of passive. But I think where your energy spent is where you're going to see results. If it's like, oh, I'm just doing it Sundays. Well, you're going to get Sunday results. Yeah. And I think somebody asked me that in a other podcast too. And they're like, what is your recommendation? Same as what you said for entrepreneurs. It's like, well, my recommendation of entrepreneurs is to jump two feet in and just do it. Because like the side hustle it works in our internet 2.0 world. Yeah. And that would work if you're billing your time, right? Like graphic designer or any one of those related kind of digital kind of services. It's like, yeah, well, the amount of hours you put in is what you're going to get paid back. Yeah. But like if you're trying to create something either from scratch or new innovation from kombucha to coffee, some manufacturing, if you need to be in that, you need to know that inside and out. You have to Envision it, create it, distribute it, sell it, right? There, there's just so much work to be done in those kind of four pillars. It's like you don't have any time. You don't have the luxury of like only doing that on a Sunday or else it's just going to, to die. So it depends what you're doing, like a side hustle where it's just you're, you're selling out your services, your time. Yeah, you can do that however many hours you want. But if you're actually trying to create a product, which is what to me is one of the hardest things is to manufacture something, right? It's like, yeah, you got to spend the time and energy. So you need to be two feet deep in the deep ends, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the deep part of the pool. Cause really that's the only way. And I was naive. Like, don't get me wrong. I was like that. I was the same naive entrepreneur that I think most of us all can relate to is that you're like, Oh, I'm going to start a company. I'm going to make a bunch of money and I'm never going to work again. The glorified entrepreneur is the guy that's sitting on a yacht smoking his cigars or whatever, right? It's like, no, that's not, <laughs> that's not it. No, It's the guy that hasn't showered in four days because he's been too busy working, right? Like that's the entrepreneur. 
This podcast is sponsored by Rosso Coffee Roasters. This week's coffee is from Costa Rica from a world-famous farm, Smava. It's a honey-processed anaerobic via Sarchi. This coffee reminds me of pineapples, red apple, and honey. It's super delicious. Enjoy sipping on Samava while listening to my chat with Conrad from True Booch Kombucha. So we've talked a little bit, you know, the highs and lows. What do you do personally when you're in one of those funks, you know, entering into COVID and sales are down and taps are shut off? How do you, how do you get yourself out of Like, what's a piece of advice you could give to some other entrepreneurs listening yeah, what, I don't know if I'm the best. To... What recharges you? <laughs> what recharges me? Or, or, you know, what inspires you? Or how do you dig yourself out of a hole? What's your routine? Yeah, I go into deep holes. I go in deeper holes than most people probably. Yeah, like you have to kind of sit back and do a gut check and be like, what are you doing this for? And I remember talking just recently to my brother-in-law and I was saying something. I'm like, oh, you know, sales are down. It's a grind. We're just doing this. But then he's like, oh yeah, but... Are you spending time with Rio? That's our son. And he's like, oh yeah, like I, I bet I got so much time in my hands. Like I can hang out with him every day of the week that I want. And he's like, wasn't that your goal, man? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I guess. Right. Like that's, that's where it's like, we went back when we were talking, it's like growth. It's like the classic cliche. If you're not growing, you're dying. And that's in human nature in general. Right. Like I'm a, I don't know if you're like this, but I'm like this. I'm always wanting to learn. I always want to grow. So I'm always doing something that has been meditating for 10 years and don't drink alcohol because I don't want to like, I want to grow. I want to like be a better longevity for my human body and like just random things like that. Learning things, learning about science, learning about NFTs, right? Bitcoin, just, you know, growing in that kind of sense. And so if humans need some piece of human growth to feel worthy of living really in, in my world. So why wouldn't the business be that way? It's like, well, those are two separate things. Let's separate those two. It's like, yeah, you can grow personally. Like you can go learn all the things you want at, the, at your fingertips with the internet. Okay. I can go learn. I can still learn. I can still grow personally just because the business doesn't grow, isn't growing the way I want it to be. Doesn't mean that translates to me as a human. And so that's kind of the way I would get my way out of the, out of that funk. But don't get me wrong, the business not growing puts me into a funk very easily because it, it's like, it's your baby, right? Like mm. it's, it's, a, it's an extension of you. You created it, you started it, you made all the processes, you brought all these people in along the way to join you on this journey. You're employing all these people, you have responsibility for everybody. And so as soon as it's not doing what you planned it to be doing, then you take it personally, at least I do. And so that's what puts me in the pit. And I think the best solution for entrepreneurs is to like separate that you try to try to separate the business to the human and it's tough when it's your like it's your baby quote unquote but so your identity is not wrapped up in the business so i think so many entrepreneurs struggle with if the business is doing well you go in you you know the business owner's happy and then when it's a bad day they're down in the dumps and it's mm -hmm. a pure reflection of sales or you know revenue growth or you know whatever bottles out the door that's a hundred percent it. Like that's what keeps us going, but it also is what slows us down. If I didn't get into my funks or any entrepreneurs didn't get into their deep pits. I mean, a lot of innovation things come through despair, right? Like we live in a world of not to be negative life is suffering. Right. So, and the only way to get through suffering is through growth. 
And so if you're in the deep pits of the company is suffering and your person, then you personally are suffering, well, you're going to figure out a solution to get out of that. Right. And then, you know, you go through the ups and the downs and you're always kind of spiraling up is what I call it, where you're, you're going down, but then your next wave is bigger and then your next wave is bigger, but there's always downs. They're just not as bad. Right. And so if you can weather that, that's kind of the name. That's the game plan. It's just like, who's better at it. I'm not that great at it. I'm learning as I keep going. Cause I, I've gone to my pits and I'm like, I'm going to fucking close up shop because <laughs> like, I don't want to do this anymore. It's just too stressful. Right. And I think every entrepreneur kind of goes through that. They don't talk about it as much. And going back to like, how do you get that? It's like, well, talk to other entrepreneurs, get more support. I know you and I've talked a bunch. We always have bitch sessions on the phone. Like, I mean, I don't know if you have other people you bitch to, but like, I can't only be talking to Louisa, my wife about the woes. I can't only be talking to my partners about the woes because we live and breathe it. It's like, do we want to talk about it anymore? It's like, maybe there's outside of your circle having those chats and maybe through those chats, solutions come. Right. Or you see someone who is doing well, that kind of motivates, like that motivates me when I see you're doing well, or I hope vice versa. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. And then don't always believe the hype too. There's a lot of companies I've saw that, or I looked up to and do look up to, to this day that have now disappeared. And you're like, what happened? You know, on the surface, you look like you're just killing it. You know, that's the social media side of things. That's the, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes of any company, let alone any human, right? So it's like, you always have to like, kind of look and be like, yeah, that's, let's not compare ourselves to those people. Like I got off social media personally and for the business um, right away because I saw all my competitors. I was like, oh, well, this competitor is doing <laughs> Rosso cold brew coffee kombucha. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I got to do that. <laughs> Epic fail, right? So <laughs> it's looking internally and being like, why did I do this? And what's my way out? What's the worst case scenario? And if all those things are, can all be checked off and they're not that bad, then pull yourself out of that funk and get the get back to work, I guess. I mean, I, I, I say it better than I actually do it myself. And it's a harder thing to do, but you want to survive, you can have to, you have to be able to, as an entrepreneur, deal with those highs and lows. Highs yeah. and lows. What, uh, what's the future of True Booch? Where's the two, five-year plan? Is it, you know, are you going into other drink categories? Are you staying within your four walls of just kombucha? Yeah. Um, be so good they can't ignore you is kind of what I've ran with here in the last five years is that I see it in our, in our world and, and, and maybe that's naive and, and bad business but I'm going to go against the grain, like no different than we didn't um, take venture capitalist money and grow it that way. Right. That's what business 101 would tell you. It's like, you want to be a multimillionaire. It's like, go do that. Okay. Well, I didn't do that. I'm, I'm not going to be that. So it's like, okay, stick to your guns and do what you do the best and don't be clouded by other things. So like kombucha companies have multiple facets of products. Now you see everything from low sugar, well, it's not low sugar. It's, it's, it's not even kombucha. It's just vinegar water, right? It's just like you're taking kombucha and then just watering it down and then, and then not even having any of the good probiotics and beneficial bacteria in it because they've pasteurized it. Well, I don't want to sell that product. I don't want to sell that to our customers who believe, who know that we have a raw, authentic um, kombucha that is as natural as it should be and in, in all kombucha should be, but there's bad players, right? There's bad players that are they're making all kinds of different non-kombucha products. How, what, 
we gotta, I gotta ask this. How do I, you know, we travel a lot. Say we're in Guatemala and uh, I can't get my true booch. How do I look and know like a legit kombucha? Like there's three brands, you know, in the fridge and I got to pick one. What do I look for? Problem is you don't really know. Okay. Then um, how do I pick? You, which pick, you one? pick the one with like what you would presume to be the shortest shelf life in all honesty, because um, if there's a product on there that has a shelf life more than five months or even four months, then it's not authentic kombucha. Because if you had a kombucha uh, that was alive and it is a live product, it's still alive. It's still fermenting. Even as it sits on the shelf, a lot slower, it's still doing its fermenting in there. Then it can only have a shelf life of four or five months before mm. the taste, before the flavor profile changes. Right. And what does it go to? It just goes more vinegary, right? Cause okay. the more you ferment it, the more it eats the sugar and creates more acids. Right. And like, there's a, there's a, there's a balance between tart and sweet. Right. And we think we've found that perfect balance that caters to both the, the kombucha snob, I want to call it, and the new kombucha, uh, new entrant. Right. And the kombucha snobs are basically just the hippies that used to brew it on their counter for the last 40 years. And they want vinegar. They want vinegar because that's what they knew. And because that's how they never controlled their brews. They just let it brew for 30 to 40 days on their counter. And then it was pure vinegar, right? Not to say that there's wrong with it. That's just what they're a used different to. Version. Right. So I don't know where we were. What was the original topic of our conversation? How do I find a legit there kombucha? So looking at it from a shelf life is basically the only way unless it says on there but what's happening in the kombucha world is they're trying to get more clarity and more regulation around it but it's hard it has to go through like congress it has to go through all these fda all these things in the states and then once it happens in the states canada will eventually adopt them but um you're trying to get more clarity so if kombucha is made from let's say they call it a concentrate so they'll take this they'll take a kombucha and they'll brew it for 60 to 90 days then it just turns into pure vinegar. And then they take that vinegar and they put one part to 20 parts water or even more. It might be 40 parts water. So, so it's like an extract. Yeah, it's like an extract. And to me, that doesn't have any of the, it's not alive anymore. There's nothing living in it anymore. There's nothing moving. There's nothing eating. There's nothing, you know, like if you think about bacteria, everything's always moving and eating and doing their things, right? It's like vinegar flavored water or tea, I guess. And so you need to kind of look at that, but they don't, there's no regulation around it. Yeah. You don't want to find a kombucha that isn't in the refrigerator. Like there's kombuchas that sit on the shelf outside of the refrigerator. Oh, that have shelf lives of two years. Oh, wow. So they're pasteurized. They're pasteurized or they're. Can they even be called kombucha at that point? Yeah. Because there's no regulation. So this is one of our battles ignoring like sampling, for example. And now there's the battle of the bad players. So there's international players that are coming from Australia that are just shipping flavored vinegar tea across the world with no refrigeration, two to three year shelf life that are selling in the Loblaws of the world for a lot less than what we can sell it for, but calling themselves kombucha. A lot of it boils down to what big retailers want too, right? Like you guys don't sit in that, that, that refrigerated space in a, in a big retail shop like Loblaws or Safeways is, is expensive to run. And it's expensive to be on that shelf, to pay to be on that shelf, right? It's limited, right? Where like a coffee shelf, they can presumably extend it, even though it's been extended lots. There's a million players in that. Don't get me wrong, right? It's harder to be in that sh that cooler space. It's limited. Right. And, and the Coca-Colas of the world want to pay for it. I urge everybody to 
always buy local and to make sure you know where you're getting your products from. Because what we don't want in Canada, and this is what's happening in the pandemic, I've seen is that there was a big surge right when the pandemic happened. It was like, local, local, local. We need to support everybody locally. And it was amazing. We did our online and it was amazing. I was like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Like, this just shows me that there's so much love in this city, in this province for locally made products. And then that just kind of fizzled away as, as things. Well, as the pandemic normalizes into our new routines. Yeah, your new routine wants simplicity versus it's like, well, I just want to go to Spud or I just want to go to Walmart online and order my goods and stuff to come delivered to my door because you don't want to go inside COVID. I get it. There's a whole safety thing. But now that habit of ordering things online, not leaving the house, not finding those new products, those new innovative products that you don't see unless you went into the grocery store or just had that one impulse buy, it just doesn't happen. And so it's like, how do we navigate that? And how do we get Canadians to buy Canadian, Albertans to buy Alberta? Because that's the only way to me that we get outside of this COVID and the Amazons of the world don't continue just to dominate everything. And then there's no small businesses left. I couldn't imagine. It'd be, it'd be a sad state of affairs if there's no Rosso, so there's no True Booches, there's no, you know, like all the small companies around here. Like what would, what would, <laughs> it'd be sad. It'd be sad that there's only big Goliaths like taking, taking over the world. So what, what, what's the future? Where are we going with True Booch? Uh, we're going to stick to our guns. Like I said, we're going to, Continue making the best kombucha we possibly can consistently. Keep kind of that flywheel going. It doesn't need to be double digit growth numbers every year. It just needs to be that there's more fans and we want to have true, quote unquote, true fans across Canada that love the product and they love what we do as a brand and what we stand for. And to keep that momentum going, I don't want to go raise $5 million today and go open up a facility and go buy shelf space space off of Loblaws and go buy shelf space at Safeway and then have it be an epic fail. I want to test every single market in a very slow, methodical way so that when you are in massive national brands or you're in retailers like Loblaws, can't ignore you anymore. That's really what it is. And so they're coming to you versus you begging them to be on their shelf, they're coming to you. And that might take 10 years. But at least we'll have the longevity to do it. I'm fired up. <laughs> I've got some personal questions. So I reached out to my uh, 2.1 million Instagram followers. Oh, that's we're what 2.4, I think. Oh yeah, got, yeah, yeah. Sorry, got you beat. And the overwhelming question was microdosing. Conrad, tell me about microdosing. Well, for those that don't know what microdosing is, is basically taking a small form of psychedelic. Okay. A few times a week to give you a mood booster slash focus enhancer, let's call it. And I think the Silicon Valley kind of took it and ran with it with the Tim Ferriss's of the world and the Joe Rogan's of the world where brought it to the mainstream, I guess, where psilocybin, which is the psychedelic mushroom, you take a little 0.5 grams of that, or no, I guess that's a lot, probably 0.1 to 0.25 of a gram. Okay. Uh, take that a few times a week and then use that as kind of like a mood enhancer. Some people have replaced it like almost with coffee. It gives you a boost. Um, you're not per se high. Mm. You don't feel effects, but it gives you a kind of a back end effect where what it's doing is changing your, I don't even want to get into the science of it because I sure. don't know much of it, but the neurological side of things and, and different receptors firing that normally wouldn't be firing, 
eventually they will continue to fire post having that microdose, if that makes sense. It's a new antidepressant in a general sense. And I think that's where the world's going once they get through all the trial. They're doing a bunch of kind of clinical trials on MDMA, psilocybin, LSD, all those as a microdosing slash even a macro dose yeah. side of things. So yeah, it's an interesting time. Would you recommend it for people? I don't know if we can give recommendations. I don't know. I don't recommend taking any illicit drugs, but if you were to try an illicit drug, maybe that, yeah, I would recommend it for people that feel down. But I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like I don't, I've done it a bunch, but I haven't done been doing it lately because I find it brings, brings you up, but it also brings you down the after effect, like the day later, but then there's like the entourage effect that happens later on. And so what it does is enhances whatever's happening in your life. So if you're, if I'm taking it on a Monday morning and I'm stressed out or I've had a down day about the business in general, just whatever's going on, it's going to enhance those stressors too, right? And so I haven't had, specifically during COVID, I haven't had many down days of like, oh yeah, I'm just going to relax and like let the psilocybin do its thing and hang out. And maybe I was doing too much of a microdose. Let's put it that way. I was probably pushing the limits on that too. So then it enhances it even more. So the best thing, actually, I'm rereading a book called Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. Mm, yeah. The best is to find somebody that actually deals in this professionally. There are people in Calgary that do it. You just have to find them. That's what I'm going down that route is finding a professional, quote unquote, professional therapist to, to go through that psychedelic journey to, to try to change some receptors and try to get some it's called trauma. There's been trauma in my life. There's trauma in everybody's life. Mine not, might not be as much as others, but it's there and it's something I want to get rid of or at least address. And that's kind of what this whole psychedelics helps like unlock. Yeah, presumably. Yeah. Like that, it, it basically the way that's been described by like the Tim Ferriss's is of the world is it's 10 years of therapy packed into like one week of psychedelic therapy. Now, I'm an, I'm an entrepreneur and if I can get, you know, if I can get, spend one week doing something to get 10 years worth of benefit from, I'm going to try it. So I'm a, I'm a risk taker and that's, that's who I am. So I'm definitely doing it. Have you, have you gone and seen this person yet? Uh, we're in the initial stages. It's, it's just like any other therapy thing. You get to know, you get to go through each stage. Um, and then eventually you go through your, your journey. But it would be a macro dose. Yeah, it'd be macro dose. Obviously somebody there watching you and then, and then working through, and then there's post, there's post therapy work to do be done too. Do we be talk about whatever came up? So childhood traumas, let's work through it. Let's, let's talk about it. And so it's interesting. I'm super excited, super worried too, to see the demons that come out, right? Like that's kind of the, the scenario is like, it's not like, it's not like these drugs, like psilocybin, for example, like MDMA would be a, it used to be a party drug, right? Like ecstasy, right? So clearly it has some fun element to it. And so do mushrooms. They have a fun element to it. When you did them like mushrooms around the campfire, you know, every kid kind of did that, right? Or a lot of kids did. Listen, but, buddy, I'm a narc. <laughs> but there's the, 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 the therapy, the therapy side of things. It's, it's not like a recreational thing where you're like every day now you're going to do mushrooms or whatever it is. It's like, no, it's like, you do it and then you learn from it and then you kind of keep going on. It's not like drinking alcohol or smoking cannabis. It's not something you're going to do every day. Yeah. So you'd recommend maybe seeking professional advice, do the macro if you want to unlock kind of, well, I'll tell you, should we do a two, should we do a part two of this? Yeah, man. 
yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear about it. I, f- I find it super fascinating. I've read that book too. And mm-hmm. just what can we unlock in our minds? Like, like you said, everyone has trauma and how can we work through that? So we're a better version or human being of ourselves is drugs and therapy can, if they can unlock that, I think that's a big win. Like there's so many, there's publicly traded companies now that are, you know, doing this. Yeah, it's great. It's a, it's an interesting time, right? We got, we're, we're, we're legalized cannabis in Canada for two years, three years now or whatever. Um, America's coming that route. It seems to be. And, and I could tell you, right. Like I could tell you, I, I base a lot of the success of true on, on drugs, man. Oh, wow. Not like, cause if done right, you can use it. I use cannabis and these things as a teaching mechanism, right? Like, don't get me wrong. There's a recreational side of things too, but like a lot of like, you, you ask me how I get out of my funks. I have like a, if I get off my regimen, like I have a system. It's like, I have a, an logarithm of my own. Like every, every human is like a computer, right? I have a logarithm that I have to follow. And if I get off that logarithm, um, sometimes the wheels fall off and sometimes they don't. But when they do, you're like, okay, I got to get back onto that logarithm. And what is my logarithm? And it's like, I go to bed at nine. I don't eat past six. I have two meals a day. Like I have this logarithm that I've figured out over the last 10 years of, I don't know, cliching saying biohacking. Yeah. Right. And one of them is, is, uh, having cannabis in a sauna. So I take a sauna and a, and a cold shower. And in that sauna, I have, I'm either reading some kind of like philosophical book or a business book or a business podcast, or even just something that's not business related just to get the brain ideas flowing. And through that, I've come up with hundreds of iterations of how new processes in TrueBoot should work. What should be the next avenue? What should be the next game plan almost? Like there's something to say about drugs, like every human, every species, every culture, every, every end of time have humans have tried to get away from their brains. Does that make sense? Or to yeah. alter their, yeah. alter their current state. Yeah. And why is that? It's like, well, one, you, something's bothering you in this state Two, you want to be in an equal state with other people or three is to like use that new state to figure out new solutions to problems. And that's kind of some, I use, I like to use cannabis and all that for that. It's like, is there solutions to things? Is there things I can think outside of the box, outside of the realm of like my, I don't know what you want to call it. Like it's, it's very, um, closed in right to open it up yeah you're inside a box and as you grow you open up the door and go to the next box and then as you grow again you get out of that box into the new yeah Mm -hmm. and that that creates creativity and and creates excitement to me is like okay well can we do this oh this is an innovative way to like market for example like coming up with i can equate cannabis to coming up with sending 10,000 bottles to Vancouver, Spud Vancouver for free and putting it into 10,000 customers' hands. That cost a lot of money, but like, and that's not like I, it's not like cannabis curry that I like, that <laughs> giving bottles away for free is, is something that has existed forever. But I probably, if I hadn't have used that product to help me think past that and gone back past the blockage of like, oh, well, that just costs too much money or they won't accept it. It's like, Let's, let's try it. Let's do that. And so going back to like microdosing and all that, it's like, what do you, what's your goal? Is your goal to like free your mind and open up your mind to, to be better, to grow positive or negative fail or success, right? Might as well try it. I'm, I'm a, I'm a risk taker. So that's the thing. It's like, I'm going to take the risk of what some people might, might, 
my parents might think I'm frying my brain. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to grow as a human and to grow the business too inside of it. So you sound like you have a wicked morning routine. I wouldn't call it wicked, but Okay, well what's you got this regiment where you're eating twice a day, you're going to sleep by nine PM. What's your morning? So my like? logarithm is I um, or, or or say your whole day. I don't have an alarm, so I wake up nice. whenever the alarm goes or whenever I wake up. That's true entrepreneurship. Yeah. And it's either six AM when the baby boy wakes me up or whatever, it's seven, something like that. And then I'll make a bulletproof coffee kind of thing, which is my concoction with Rosso decaffeinated beans, which by the way, listeners is amazing. It's just nice. like their, um, all their other roasts, but decaffeinated. And I found that caffeine made me too much anxiety. Okay. I don't know how to explain it over. Like if I just like, I can have a coffee on the, I'll treat myself to like a caffeinated coffee on the weekends. But like during the week, I just decaf, which has MCT oil, mushrooms. So it's like reishi, okay. lion's mane, chaga, and then uh, some collagen. And so I make that coffee and then I don't eat until noon. What I've been taught or what I've learned is that your day starts the night before. So if you want a good day to day, it starts 24 hours ago. It started yesterday to make today good, right? So it's like, okay, well, I got to get a compound on it. So I have to get a good night's sleep on Saturday night to have a good night's sleep on Sunday night so that my Monday is good. And so you can't, that's kind of the way I run it. So it's like you're, you can't eat past six o'clock on Sunday so that you sleep better on Sunday night. So you found 6 p.m. is the cutoff because- Yeah, I go 6 p.m. till noon the next day. So one an 18 hour fast. Okay. Yeah. So six and then then I'll eat two meals and then just cut it off at six. And it's always like my wife, Louisa, is an amazing cook. So we're always eating really healthy, just good meat, good vegetables. Good clean food. Good clean food. Have some grains in there. Carbs aren't the devil, but they are some days. But like, right? And just- Live that. Lots of water, lots of kombucha. And what about sleep? What's your sleep routine? Like sauna. So, so you I was, sauna every yeah. day? Uh, every two days I try to in the winter. Summer wow. I don't do it in the, because it's just too hot. <laughs> Summer's too hot. But in the winter it's awesome. So I do like, I'll go down there. I have to put down the boy to bed. I'll go down there at 8 o'clock, do a sauna for half an hour to 45 minutes, sometimes an hour. Wow. Watch a football game if it's on. Watch sports, listen to the podcast, like I said. And then cold shower in a bit. And then you, you sleep well, like that's with that routine, you're sleeping, you're out, lights out until. Yeah. Cause you have the whoop, right? Is yeah. that right? Yeah. I've got the aura ring. So yeah, let's see the scores today for those aura ring guys out there. Okay. So you're sleeping and your goal is like eight, nine hours or. Yeah. Like I, both my wife and I, we realize that we're not, we're not able to cope with life's Less. challenges without more. Like I need eight to nine hours of sleep and that is sleep. Like that is in. That's not in time in That's bed. That's not time in bed. So yeah. like, for example, yesterday I got nine hours and 20 minutes, but I was in bed for 10 hour, 10 and a half hours. So like, Jeez. what they call an 80%, 88% efficiency. And today I had a uh, 10 and a half hours and eight and a half hours of sleep. So I had less efficiency. Some people are just pulling their hair out right now. Oh, for sure. But you mean, that's the thing. It's like, you need to figure out what your logarithm is. And, and don't get me wrong. Like we've only got a year and a half old. We've got another, another kid on the way. Um, life might change where I have, that isn't going to happen. Like, I, it's not like I got that kind of sleep when, uh, Rio was two months, two yeah. months old. Yeah. Like it's not reality, but if you can work on it and you can get to that point where you know what works for you, then everything else kind of trickles down. Right. It's like, you're, you like I said, you're spiraling up. If you can make today good so that tomorrow is even better, 
And then if tomorrow's better, the next day's even better, then why not continue to do that? And that's why I stopped drinking. That's why I just stopped taking those things out of my lifestyle that weren't beneficial to my productivity or how I feel. Have you read the book, Why We Sleep? Yeah. Did you? Well, so I haven't read, I've read half of it and it was too much technical. Basically it's like, oh, just sleep more. Yeah. The second <laughs> half is better than the first half. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. It, the first half is all technical and kind of sucks. So you read it. So what was I've, your takeaway on the second half or just, just, takeaway just I, I think it's like, you got to have the nightly routine, what you're talking about. You know, you sauna, like you got to set your body up. You got to tell your body like, Hey, we're getting ready to sleep. Mm-hmm. So no screen time. Like I try to be asleep by 10. So by 9 PM, no screen time. I try to shut it down. I try to read every night before I fall asleep. I try not to drink too much. So I don't get up in the middle of the night and go to the washroom try to have the room as dark as possible. So you're, you know, as especially in Calgary, like the sun's up, you know, 5 a.m. in the summer. So I try to have that. I No alarm. Oh, you do? Yeah, no alarm, which has been very helpful. So you just naturally wake up instead of being jarred in deep sleep and waking up. That's been a big unlock. Try not to have caffeine after, doesn't affect me, but I try not to have caffeine after 2 p.m. Have you ever taken like off of caffeine for more than like a month? Or no. more than like a week? No, I've... There's a challenge for you. You should... Well, I mean, it's tough in your business because yeah. like you've got... <laughs> you kind of have, have to try yeah. it. You got to have to... I, I want it. to. A buddy's coming on the podcast and he's done Everest four times. He's made to the top oh, wow. twice. And my biggest worry is not actually the hike, but is not having coffee. I want to go do it, but not having coffee because like, yeah, I can wane myself off beforehand. Just look at it as like another challenge. Like I know, I know. it's, it's a crutch right now. It's yeah. terrible. Anyway. So, so your, your routine looks similar to the Tim Ferriss's of the world, right? Like there are people out there. Like have you ever read his book called, um, uh, something Titans, the tools of Titans. I haven't read it, but, but tools of Titans yeah. is the same kind of scenario. It's like, he's just like interviewed his top 50 buddies and all of them are like, what is your number one product? Or what is your number one thing you do to get yourself? Like, right. It has all these questions. It's like, everybody talks about sleeping eight hours or even nine, 10 hours. Like that was like one of the falls. Like one of the things that bugs me is like sleep when you're, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Like, that's Oh dude, I used to be that way. That's not pre COVID pre COVID. I was like, Oh, you know, sleep is for the week. Oh really? Oh yeah. Pre COVID. Yeah. It was cause of COVID. I used to get up like every morning. It was like, we'd get up 5am. We'd be at the gym for 6am just so we'd go to yoga. And then it was like, you know, come back seven and be in work by eight. And then we're working like eight till six or seven. We go home, have dinner and then have a glass of wine or something. And then right back to bed. But now like with the whoop and seeing like, oh man, like a glass of wine, two glasses of wine, like the recovery is not nearly so you don't sleep as deep. There's, there's there's a whole bunch of, you start to get into this, like, oh my, you know, you're monitoring everything and you got this constant, like, I'm not doing good enough. That yeah, but that's good. What, what you want changed needs to be measured, right? Yes. Like what you want to change in your life needs to be measured. And it's like, well, if you're reading that book, why we sleep is like, like the funny thing, the, the best line in that book is like, if I could tell you to take this one thing, it's free. You only, everybody can do it. It's free. And it, it is the best thing for your health, longevity, productivity, everything. Would you take it? Like if it was a pill and he's like, of course you'd take it. Yeah. Well, it's fucking sleep. Like everybody just needs to sleep an hour or two more a day. And I think this world would have less stressed out people 
more rational people and just a healthier society in general. And if that's this, it's so simple, right? It's like, I did the same as you, but I, I learned a little bit while longer ago, not, not COVID that I needed to way more sleep. And so like COVID just helped. And so my question to you is, do you think, do you think this change in human behavior, human interaction with the world? Like, don't get me wrong. The world has definitely changed where people working from home, mm. right. Is it's the norm. Okay. And so there's no commute time or less commute time. Let's say you're putting half an hour in each way. So that's one hour you could equate to more sleep. COVID made everybody stay at home. And from the stats I read and what I heard was people were going to bed earlier. And that was actually through Aura's app sent this article saying, we've been tracking this. The average bedtime was 10.35 pre-COVID, or let's say that's probably 11.35 pre-COVID. Um, now it's 10.35 a full hour. We're not talking like 15 minutes. Like it moved, that needle moved. And presumably, okay, that they're going to bed earlier on average and waking up later. And that's what I was saying. They're waking up later. They're getting more sleep because they're not commuting or whatever it is, right? They're just choosing health and sleep over productivity and burning the midnight I, oil. I and- think that, I think the problem is I used to think this way is more time will equate to more productivity. So less sleep, equals more time, which equals higher productivity, which is, it's actually the opposite. More sleep equals more productivity because the quality of the productivity has gone way up. So I've noticed that like my decision making's better, my highs and lows are- More stable. More stable. I don't fatigue, like a big thing it used to happen is I'd fatigue through decisions. Now I, I don't fatigue nearly as much. I think it's, it for me, it's been a big unlocked. I must've recommended the book like, 50 times and getting some kind of, you know, a lot of people like a big thing. Which book, say, sorry? Why We Sleep. Oh, Why We Sleep. Yeah, 100%. And just like, if you don't understand what you don't track. And so, you know, thinking like a lot of people will say like, oh, I go to bed at 10 p.m. and I wake up at seven and I'm getting a lot of sleep. Well, you don't actually, when you go to bed is different when you fall asleep. There's a lag. For some people it's two minutes, but for others it could be 40, 50 minutes. Yeah. Plus all the time, you spend waking up in between, you wake up in the middle of the night, you either go to the washroom or you turn over. And so you start to lose time, you know, through like last night, I woke up at whatever, 11 times. Two nights ago, it was like 26 times. And I had a terrible sleep. And it's like, okay, what's causing that? So then you can work it backwards too. It's like, oh, what happened? Oh, I had four glasses of wine. I had food right before dinner. You start to like equate and start connecting the dots on, all these things that are occurring in your life. Oh, I woke up, I was in a bad mood. So I made a shitty decision here and yelled at this person here and I'm unhappy about sales here. Yeah, I can equate all my angst and problems in the last 36 months to lack of sleep. Wow. Yeah. And that's and that's what people need to realize is that, is that extra Netflix show worth it? Is, no, is, 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 is sitting on Instagram for an extra three hours or an extra hour at night you being sold products you don't even fucking want worth it. And don't get me wrong. Like I'm sitting on my soapbox over here, but I'm still a guy watching F1 formula one, whatever that show is on Netflix with my blue light blocking glasses, <laughs> thinking that I'm like doing something good. But like at the same time, it's like it's a, it's 1030 and I broke my own logarithm. Like I broke my protocol. Like I have a protocol. It's like, I need to go to bed at nine 30. I know I need to do that. If I don't, the wheels fall off and then it's fucking 10 30 and you're like, 
Well, I could, you know, you can have, you have to have fun too. So it's like, you have to have your off days, no different than the rock does his, uh, have you ever seen his cheat days when he eats food? No. Oh my God. It's disgusting. Like go to his Instagram and look at his cheat days. It's like, well, yeah, like the rock is, he's like a specimen. He's just a beast. He, 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 he's the classic, like he works 18 hour days. Plus he works out four hours. He's only sleeps for two. Like he's the anomaly. The rest of the, us humans, we, we need the nine hours of sleep in bed, 10 hours in bed and to function at his level. And we're not even functioning close to his level. So like, you're never going to compete with that. The, the media needs to stop glorifying that, that that's the way entrepreneurs need to be because all these young kids coming out of university and all that stuff. Yes, there's a place for it. Mm. It isn't your goal. Your right. goal is actually to get the 10 hours of sleep. How do I function? How do I be the most productive in the shortest amount of time? Right? That is your goal. Not to be semi-productive over the longest amount of time because I can tell my friends that I'm working 18 hours a day because yeah. I'm on. Cause that's I'm, what I think people want to hear. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear that shit. Like I love saying to everybody, I was like, no, I'm bored. I have too much time on my hands. I have the ability to go look at other business ventures outside of true booch. I get, I can grow the business. I can hang out with my family. I like saying that as not as like people to be jealous of it is like, no, that should be inspiration for entrepreneurs to know that that's possible without feeling like you're failing your company or whatever it is, right? Like it, it's possible. I think that book and COVID combined have made humans or society cherish sleep and health over money now. Mm. That's how I see it. I saw it in my employees. I saw it with people I know from my, um, when I worked at KPMG and things like that. It's, you can see it. You can see that they're like, well, I'd rather work from home and make less money because I know that I then have an extra hour of sleep an extra whatever time to hang with the family, whatever it is. Right. And that's just changed. That's my opinion. I don't know your thoughts. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I think a lot of people have changed. Like the beauty in, of COVID is we have changed all our routines. I don't think it'll be permanent. I think we'll be in like a hybrid model, but focus on sleep, focus on like you know, I want to ask you like meditation, I think is a big part of your life. Oh yeah. Sorry. That's what I do in the mornings. Yeah. Every morning for the last 10 and years. We got way off your morning routine here. We talked about <laughs> sleep for 25 minutes. <laughs> hey, sleep's way more important than meditation. I can tell you that. Really? Oh yeah. Like meditation is just like a little nap to me. It's like, it's, you do it every morning. Yeah. I try to the, ever since the, we've had a kid, it's changes. It's a, I do like maybe 70% of the weekdays, right? Mm. It's only for 15, 20 minutes. I do some special nasal breathing I do, and then I just do a meditation. And I can see the difference when I don't, that's for sure. Oh, wow. Yeah. But so what, what happens when you don't? Just agitated? Yeah. Or? More agitated, less like looking, looking at the world through like, um, like blinders almost, like where you're just tunnel vision on something that's negative or positive. Like you, you're not seeing the bigger picture. When I meditate, I see the bigger picture, if that makes sense. Like, like there's more like looking in this room, there's more to this room than just you and I. There's things around, there's cars moving, there's everything's moving. It's like opening up that space in your brain to see all versus mm. just being tunnel vision. And, and don't get me wrong, meditation is designed to be more focused. Like you're focusing on your breath, you're focusing on a mantra, you're doing something in, in meditation, right? To, to help your brain focus. But like when you're living your life, you should technically have like this more broad view of things. So if I'm going through life, driving to work, or just anything in my day-to-day -day life, it needs to be not hyper-focused on whatever I'm thinking about. It needs to be broad. 
But when I'm at work, then it helps you bring yourself into whatever you're doing on kind of like time blocks. I don't know if you do time blocks. No. We're like, I have this timer set up and don't get me wrong. I've, I was really good at this for about four or five months and then I stopped. But every 20 minutes I focus in on whatever it is. So I turn off all the email. I shut down all the email. And I'm going into whatever that thing is. I'm modeling something. I'm whatever, even cleaning on my email inbox, for example, would be that 20 minutes. Timer goes off. I do 10 burpees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I go back into the timer. And so it's just a burpees or go get some water or whatever, take a little break. And then you go back into it. So it's like conscious productivity and then giving yourself conscious breaks too. Like, like if you think about it, the way the world, like the way anything works is you can't be hundred percent on all the time Yeah, and you can't be hundred percent off, but you always be in that, like you'll go 80% on and then 80% off. And then, and, and you want to ebb and flow during the days. Like you, to me, the, I'm most productive. If I, I go hard into something for a short burst of time and then come out of it and then go hard into it for a short burst of time and then come out of it. And that way you're getting 80% or 100% productivity into that one task without distraction, which going back to thing is how do you jam more productivity into a shorter time frame to allow you to have more space to do the things you love or the creative side, the creative side being growing the business, whatever on the side, right? Family. And then you have your downtime. You have to give yourself downtime. You and will to- you have two back-to-back blocks of the same thing? Oh, yeah. So you could do 60 minutes of emails, but you're doing the 10 burpees. Every yeah, point. you're taking a break within yeah. it. But And then also and not shutting having... shutting off everything that... Yeah, isn't. not having any distractions where you're like... Like an email, for example, I pause my email. I can pause it with uh, our, some Gmail um, yeah. app thing. I can pause it and then I'm working on what's in there, not also the new shit coming in. Cause what's happening when you're going through email, right? You're cleaning out your inbox and then all of a sudden new shit keeps coming in and then it's just, it never ends. And then right. you're always in your email. Like email is like the death of all, right? Same as Slack. Like everybody's like, oh, well the Slack kills email. Yeah, it kills it, but it actually makes it worse because then it's a chat program versus like, I can leave it in. Anyways, we can get into that. But so that's kind of how I run my system is like, you just go into that, come out of it, go into that, come out of it. And then ebb and flow during the day. Okay, back to meditation though. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I got a couple brothers. I want one of my brothers to start meditating. What what advice? Uh, the advice I was always given. So I've done a Vipassana course, which is a 10-day silent meditation retreat. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> no no chance he's doing that. We're talking like, what's a five-minute... The, 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 the number one thing that you can be told is just do it. And it's all about the habit of doing it. And not to have any expectations. That's it. Like, don't expect that because everybody's like, oh, well, you turn your thoughts off. Well, no, that's bullshit. If you turned your thoughts off, you're basically dead. Can you look at that thought without judgment and letting that thought go? That's kind of what meditation is in a general sense, right? And so it's like, yeah, you're going to have a million thoughts. Like your brother's going to sit there and be like, why am I meditating? This is stupid. Blah, blah, blah. This hurts. My back hurts. Like, it's just go through all these. And so just recognizing those thoughts and identifying them all it is that's all it is is like oh i'm complaining and not no judgment just be like, i'm complaining all right and the next thought oh i'm thinking about my finances just identifying you're not judging it you're not like i shouldn't be complaining or i shouldn't be thinking about this it's like you just do it identify it, acknowledge the existence of those thoughts while trying to bring yourself back to focus and then once you're back to focus that's the habit that's the that's the training mechanism in meditation that then translates to life. We have so many things in this world distracting us, right? 
how do we train ourselves to get away from that distraction? Well, meditation is one of those modalities. One of those ways of doing it is by always going back to your breath, back to your breath. All right. I thought about something. That's great. I thought about it. I'm going to go back to my breath. And so that's kind of, it's just training your, training your brain to get back to the thing it's supposed to be focusing on. So then you can translate that to your block time. <laughs> so, so how did, how does he know he's getting better or does it even matter? It doesn't even matter. So just five minutes. I've been doing it for 10 years and I thought it was going to be the, the pill of all pills. Like it's told you, like you meditate, you're going to be Zen and you're going to find enlightenment. And you know what? You're just going to be so happy with life and never have a complaint. Bullshit. It's like, you have to just do it every day and know that that's like your place of space, right? You don't, you want to have it comfortable. You want to like, it's your place of being free of all your responsibilities in essence in that mind, that small amount of time. And that gives you a little bit of freedom, a little bit of focus and a little bit of clarity to you then go live the rest of the day. Would you recommend a, him download an app or a, he's not a book guy. Yeah. There's like the, the app called the one that I would recommend, which is kind of more far out there is a waking up app by yeah. Sam Harris. Cause Sam Harris is like, <laughs> Sam's on it. He's on it. And he's the next level on that kind of stuff. And then talking about consciousness, like he can go into that, but then there's the calm app and there's like my, my wife, Louisa uses calm. Okay. And it's like meditations at night. There's all kinds of things. Yeah. Okay. I'd recommend that to start off, but the key is just to go into it. Five minutes a day. I would start off five for the first week and then 10 and then end up at like 15, 20 really like after 20 minutes is when it really starts like the calmness and all that. Like you get into a different state. The key is just to move your brain from this state to another state and then keep trying to get back to that. Okay. So we got your morning routine. Mm -hmm. How much kombucha are you consuming a day? Not as much as I used to. That's for sure. Um, what was your peak? My peak was probably like a least, a liter and a half a day or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> but now like, um, it's probably a couple bottles. So okay. yeah, a couple bottles. Like we have no different than you have here in Rosa. I'm looking at a, a, just as I'm looking at a espresso machine, right? We have giraffe kombucha just sitting there. Actually, Rosso, by the way, Rosso carries giraffe kombucha oh, yeah. for their employees. He's, yes. a, he's like a Google em employer over here with slides and everything. But anyways, um, it's just there. It's, it's always accessible and it's delicious. It always, if when I don't have it, I know that I don't have it, which is kind of a weird thing. Maybe it's a little bit, it's obviously a little bit of the vitamin B12 in it and in the caffeine, but there's not much caffeine at all. So it's more of the vitamin B12s that like give you that, like a little bit of boost, energy boost. How about me? I'm worried about gut health. How many should I, what would be a recommended like one, two bottles a day or, or? I would just start off with one a day or one every couple of days or whatever. Right. Um, and then the thing, like not trying to get people not to buy true booch, but you should kind of mix it up a bit too. Oh, it's different, right? Like we have our culture. It's an open air culture that is wild. It's technically wild. Like it's not like we've controlled it into like how beer is controlled with the specific yeast that comes out of this laboratory from Budweiser wherever and is shipped up here to the Budweiser operations here. It's like, it's wild to seasons and it changes with seasons. It changes with locations. So California kombucha will have different bacterias and yeasts than a Calgary kombucha. So my recommendation is to just go through them and go mix them up, but find the ones you like. Like it wouldn't, doesn't harm you to have a bunch of true booch and then supplement it with sauerkraut to kimchi to even the pills, like, like the probiotic pills, anything. It's just getting that product, that bacteria, that good bacteria, the probiotics into your belly 
over a long, sustained amount of time without having any antibiotics, stop eating refined foods that kill your gut lining because refined foods break down your gut lining as well. Eliminate those, and then eventually you'll build it back. It takes a while. How long? I don't know. I don't think mine's back fully, but I was a kid that had a lot of antibiotics when I was from birth to whatever, 30 years old. I can't even tell you how many times I've taken antibiotics. And so I think there's a lot of people like me out there that through that process have had uh, just stomach issues, just digestive issues in general, which translates to all kinds of things, mood. Like if I know if I've eaten, like, you know this, right? If you go and eat like a, a real heavy meal and then have a shitty sleep and then you kind of feel hungover, even if you had some wine, right? You had some booze, all those things aren't doing your body a favor, right? They're fighting off everything from the too much food that's working all night, right? Yeah. The poison of the alcohol, I don't want to call it poison, but yeah, it, yeah. it is poison in yeah. essence and your body's trying to take it out, right? So it's always working overtime. It's going to take the energy that your brain needs to function at a high level and a rational level and put it into your stomach and other organs to process everything that's happening, right? It's like, what do you want to be in my world when I've taken energy from my brain into my other organs in my stomach, I'm having a shitty day. That just translates to shitty everything, right? Shitty family house, family life, whatever, right? I've, it's funny, as I've noticed, we went to Myanmar and, you know, obviously we ate local food. Some of the restaurants, you know, seeing how it's prepared, I definitely picked up something and I couldn't, I couldn't handle kombucha for a while. But now, like, I used to hammer. I, would, like, I was like, you have a liter and a half, probably a day. But now... As I've slowly worked it back in, I've, I feel like it's, you know, my, my gut stuff's finally cleared up and now I'm unfortunately hammering it again. So, so did you take antibiotics then? No. So just more whatever that bacteria was that came from Miramar um, wasn't sitting with you right and then it's just a matter of working through it. And, yeah, and, I, think and it, like I think, yeah. Local bacteria is overtaking it eventually and, and, and flushing yeah. it out. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm no scientist, but I assume that's how the process works. <laughs> Okay, we got to take this home. We're almost at two hours here. Uh, what is this, Joel Rogan experience? This is the JRE right here? <laughs> Come on. Okay. <laughs> What's one thing that you believe in that few others in the industry would agree with? Like kombucha industry or just... Yeah. Uh, oh, you can do both. Kombucha and the accounting industry. What kind of cook the book? Nobody wants to hear about accounting. I think, I think the majority of kombucha brewers would believe that raw, authentic kombucha is what is right. What is most beneficial and what is the, what the industry should be, should be the core of what the industry values are. Let's put it that way. Right. And there's the other players that would argue the other side, like the ones that use the concentrate vinegar water, right? They would say, well, that's packed more with concentrated amino acids than yours is. Well, yeah, but it doesn't have any of the live bacteria either in it. So it's like, what do you want? Do you want the live bacteria and probiotics or all that? Or do you want the high level amount of acids. There's a balancing act in that. And I think that's what the, the, the argument is in the, in the pushback to Congress and us to try to find out how to do regulation is that the majority of us, I'd say 80% of us believe that raw, not shelf stable, refrigerated kombucha done in a traditional sense is the best for everyone, for the industry and for the consumer. And the other 20% are just... Focused on different things. Yeah, until there's regulation, like no different than orange juice. Like, remember when we got orange juice when I was a kid, it was in that frozen concentrate thing, right? Like in the can? In the can, yeah. right? And it was yeah. like this weird thing and you had to 
soak it in hot water just to get it out. Yeah. Anyways, so that was what orange juice was because we this didn't. This was in the sixties, right? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty close. Or maybe my parents didn't gravitate to the new ways of consuming orange juice, but cartoned orange juice, it took a while for cartoned orange juice to come that was like, quote unquote, considered fresh, right? And it turned out that it wasn't fresh. They're just taking concentrated orange juice. It was already diluted. And then they took that concentrate and then diluted and called it fresh. They just did, they basically did what we were doing at home and put it into a carton and calling it fresh orange juice. Well, it's not fresh orange juice. It's from concentrate. So then there's regulations that came. It's like now you see orange juice from concentrate, right? Uh, and then, then there's a category called fresh pressed, which is regulated to say, yes, we've taken oranges, pressed them, pasteurized it, put it on the shelf, right? Mm. And then there was orange juice that was unpasteurized, which was the whole cold press juice world, right? That lasts four days or whatever. Yeah, that lasted four days. And so each each kind of category requires its own regulation plus price point. So orange juice from concentrate is a lot cheaper than fresh pressed orange juice. And that's a lot cheaper than cold pressed orange juice. Right. And so that's where we're kind of in kombucha where it's like traditional small batch raw kombucha is going to have take a premium and should take a premium over concentrated kombucha or pasteurized kombucha or even low sugar diluted vinegar water. It has, it's now a spectrum and it's the, still the wild west it's still the wild west because now there's no labeling within that you don't know as a, a consumer, consumer a, a consumer, consumer doesn't know we know as an industry we know which ones are which but how do i communicate that to the consumer without regulations to have no different than orange juice orange juice from concentrate kombucha from concentrate is is there a kombucha lobbying group yeah so kbi which is kombucha brewers international hannah over there she's She's the president over there. She started the industry. She started this kombucha con. We actually have a kombucha conference oh, down wow. in California. She's the spearheading that with the help of some of the big players like GTs, GT Dave. He's the pioneer of kombucha. He's donated a few million dollars of his own money to wow. fight this battle because he is, I got to give it to that, the biggest and best kombucha brand in the world and still one of my favorites is GT's kombuchas. Wow. So he, so he hasn't gone another two routes no. where he could probably open up. Yeah. And he, he could do anything he wants. He's a, he's a billion dollar business and he could make another billion dollars by doing the other side of the coin. Right. And he chooses not to, he's actually fighting the fight with us, which is kind of neat because it's, it's the other players that are coming from other areas that are trying to like the Coca-Cola's of the world, trying to take that market share through different avenues of let's call them loopholes. It's labeling loopholes, if you want to call it, and lack of customer knowledge. Yeah, like I've drank kombucha since, I don't know, 2012 or something like that, and I had no idea. Mm -hmm. And that's the uphill battle that True Booch has to, and that's the reason, going back to love why we called it True Booch, was I always wanted to be true and authentic to the craft, this ancient elixir, like it's been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, right? If I'm going to do this, we're going to do, do it right. We're going to make the most true authentic, good for your body, good for your soul, good for the community, good for the earth product. And that's what we have to stick by. That's our values. So it's like, I'm not going to go outside of that realm when you ask if I want to make another product line. Well, if I'm making another product line, I'm going to be competing with the unpassed, the pasteurized, uh, not authentic kombucha because that's, that's who's taking my market share. So how am I going to take his market share? Well, I'm going to have to compete with him. 
It's like, well, no, that's not the right attitude because that goes outside our values, right? It's like, I don't want to do low sugar because it's going to dilute it. It's not going to give the people the, what they want. Yes, they might want less sugar, but they need to understand fermented sugars are different than non-fermented sugars. And there's an education piece. So it all boils down to education and sticking to your values yeah. and your core core beliefs and, and just forging forward and being so good they cannot ignore you. And that's the plan. Dude, we got to end on that. I'm, I'm fired up. Okay, where can people uh, where can people find you online, Conrad? Uh, TrueBooch.com, and then at TrueBooch is the Instagram and Twitter and all that handles. Yeah, find us if you're in Calgary and you want to get kombucha delivered to your door. TrueBooch.com, you can shop right there, or go to Co-op to grab Calgary Co-op to grab your growlers, get them refilled. Uh, Blush Lane, Save on Foods, Safeways, we're on all those kind of big guys locally. Sunterra. Got to give a shout out to Sunterra and, and uh, Community Natural Foods because those are Calgary staple organic grocery stores that we're in as well. So look out for us. We love to uh, get you in your belly. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dave.